0: Hey, listeners, just a quick heads up. We are going to do something a little bit new with our weekends. We know that we have some listeners who have been with us since the very beginning or are more recent arrivals to our show, but then have gone back from the very beginning. But we also know we have a lot of folks who haven't really had as much chance to dive into the back catalog. So on the weekends, we are going to be releasing one of our classic episodes that we will have handpicked to share with you all. So look forward to that coming up in your feed soon.
1: Welcome to Stuff You Missed in History Class from HowStuffWorks.com. Hello and welcome to the podcast. I'm Holly Fry, And I'm Tracy V. Wilson. And this is the second of our two-parter about Carrie A. Nation. And in our first episode... We talked about Carrie Nation's early life and some of the events that influenced her behavior for the rest of her life. And today we're going to jump right into her ongoing work in what she called smashings uh, and the many places that her temperance activism took her. On December 27th, 1900, more than six months after
0: her smashings in Kiowa and two weeks after her slander trial concluded, those were all in part one if you're confused, Carrie Nation famously attacked the bar at the Carrie Hotel in Wichita, Kansas. She had learned from her previous smashings that, quote, I could use a rock but once, so I took the cane with me. She also brought a steel rod, which she had bound to the cane
1: to give it extra strength. And before settling on the Cary Hotel as her target, she had actually cased 14 different places. And she was enraged to see police drinking in some of them. But what led her to select the Cary, and that is spelled C-A-R-E-Y. I know there's a lot of the word Cary, but there is a Cary Hotel as well as Cary Nation. What led her to select the Cary was a painting of a naked woman that was kept there. She also describes this as an oil painting, but then says it was under glass, which is not normally how oils are displayed. So it's unclear. Clear to me if she got the details wrong or if the saloon didn't know what to do with an oil painting.
0: In any case, though, this painting encapsulated to her just how much could be taken from women by men who drink. Quote, it is very significant that the pictures of naked women are in saloons. Women are stripped of everything by them. Her husband is torn from her. She is robbed of her sons, her home, her food, and her virtue. And then they strip her clothes off and hang her up bare in these dens of robbery and murder. Truly does a saloon make a woman bare of all things.
1: Yeah, she felt ways about things. She felt really, really strongly about how drink really was something that that ruined the lives of women at the hands of men. A nation also thought that the bar at the Cary Hotel was a really important target for another reason. It had a more upscale clientele than other drinking establishments. So she saw it as a true tragedy to serve people who were seen as respectable alcohol because she believed in her heart that it would lead to their ultimate ruin.
0: She described her pre-bashing preparations for the Cary Hotel in her book. Quote, I went back to the hotel and bound the rod and cane together, then wrapped paper around the top of it. I slept but little that night, spending most of the night in prayer. I wore a large cape. I took the cane and walked down the back stairs the next morning and out into the alley. I picked up as many rocks as I could carry under my cape. I walked into the carry bar room and threw two rocks at the picture, then turned and smashed the mirror that covered almost the entire side of the large room. Some men drinking at the bar ran out. The bartender was wiping a glass, and he seemed transfixed to the spot and never moved. I took the cane and broke up the sideboard, which had on it all kinds of intoxicating drinks.
1: There's actually a, a funny... Um article from a year later where it actually made news when they managed to raise enough money to replace the mirror in the bar <laughs> because it was apparently very expensive to do so. Uh And the property damage that she managed tallied up to several thousand dollars and Nation was arrested. So keep in mind that it wasn't illegal for a saloon to exist as a physical structure. It was just the alcohol sales that were illegal. So that is why she was arrested there. She was found guilty of malicious mischief and while she was in jail she believed that they, her jailers, tried to drive her insane by placing smokers in nearby cells. She could abide neither pipe nor cigarette smoke, and in many subsequent arrests, she would similarly accuse the local police of trying to drive her mad so that she could be declared insane and institutionalized. She also
0: claimed that a jail trustee named John warned her that men in the county attorney's office meant to do her harm. So a trustee is an imprisoned person who has exhibited good behavior and has been given privileges or responsibilities in return. Carrie had been told that the county attorney, Sam Aiden, was going to take her out of the jail via the back entry, and she agreed to that plan initially.
1: But once she received this warning from the trustee that the attorney's office might have ill intent, She decided she was not going to go with them, and so she wired the door of her cell shut with some wire that she got from John, who was the trustee, and she waited in her cell all night, armed with the leg of a cot, in case anyone tried to steal her away. She was ready to beat their hands if they tried to even touch the bars. And while there's no indication that anyone did try to kidnap or harm her in this way, she commented on the night by writing, quote, I know what it is to expect murder in my cell. She also
0: came to view the Wichita Eagle as something of an enemy during this time, calling it the rumbot chief that has made Wichita one of the most lawless places in Kansas. While she was jailed, she was brought copies of the paper to read, and the coverage of her smashing was decidedly unfriendly to her cause. Articles about Carrie Nation routinely characterized her as just deranged.
1: Yeah, we mentioned, too, that the Kiowa paper had done a similar thing. She was in the press pretty much written up as, like, a kooky old lady who just was a nut and... Not to be taken seriously, except for the fact that she was very damaging to property, but her ordeal in the Wichita jail did not deter her at all from what she saw as her calling. She began receiving letters, both hate mail and letters of encouragement, and some people even sent her money. A nation quickly gained a following, and before long, when she showed up to smash a saloon, she was not alone. Sometimes the group with her would sing, pray, or recite Bible verses while destroying the bars that they raided, although she was pretty much the leader in all of the physical destruction. And her accompanied smashings began immediately after her jail time over the Cary Hotel incident ended.
0: When she left the jail in Wichita, she set out for Enterprise, Kansas in Dickinson County because she had been sent a letter while she was in jail. And the sender had asked her to travel to Enterprise and to smash up the saloons there as she had done in Kiowa and
1: Wichita. As she headed to the train station, a massive crowd had formed, but she made her way through the throng of people and boarded. In her account, she stated that a man she did not know assisted her and kept the crowd away, telling her that he believed she was a good woman. When she opened the train window to see the crowd, a barrage of eggs was let loose at her, but the window slid closed before any could hit her. A rock also flew through the window next, but she claimed to be completely unfazed by it as she believed in her heart that God was protecting her.
0: After staying with a sympathizer on her first night in Enterprise, she immediately went to a dive to smash it. It was closed because of a baseball game in town, so she broke in by smashing the front window and climbing through. And as she destroyed the alcohol within, several women waited outside. Eventually, a marshal arrived and removed her from the premises, although she was not arrested. The lawman did prevent her from smashing up another establishment across the street from that first one, though.
1: I really wish we had an account from the perspective of the lawman having to deal with all of this, like... There's a woman destroying the bar. You got to go get her. (laughs) She was attacked later that day, though, by the wife of the man who owned the saloon that she had destroyed. And Carrie Nation ended up with a black eye after that. She continued that same day to organize a temperance group to break up the bars of Enterprise. And as they went out together the following morning to do so, they were attacked once again by a group of four women paid by shilling. That was the bar owner. And things became really quite violent. Uh, Nation was beaten pretty brutally, and some of her hair was torn out. She feared for her life, but when she implored the women around her for help, they defended her, and it finally ended the skirmish.
0: Next up, we will talk about how Carrie Nation started her own paper. But first, we're going to pause for a word from a sponsor.
1: After one of her later arrests in Topeka... Carrie was bailed out of jail by a black man named Nick Childs. Chiles was a printer and a successful newspaper man. He had been running his own paper called The Plain Dealer for two years, and that paper actually went on to become the longest-running black newspaper in the U.S. until it shut down in 1958.
0: Thanks to her acquaintance with Chiles in March 1901, Nation launched her own paper from jail, It was called The Smasher's Mail, and she started this venture in partnership with Childs, who, uh, I mean, this was kind of controversial because Childs was rumored to also own a saloon himself.
1: And in her opening remarks in the first issue, she wrote, quote, I have no apologies to make in having Nick Childs for the publisher of The Smasher's Mail. Our savior ate with publicans and sinners to do them good. The servant is not above his lord this paper shall be as his name the smasher's mail i shall put into the columns the letters i get from all over even those i get from across the water those wishing to say anything through the columns of the smasher's mail must put it in the form of a letter and use brevity the soul of wit for i reserve the exclusive right as editor but despite this
0: positive and resolved tone of that first statement the business relationship between nation and chiles soured almost immediately She claimed that he had cheated her out of money and papers and that after three weeks, it was over.
1: Yeah, so she said that not only had he taken her writing and basically, you know, run off with it, uh, but basically he then published the paper and and made money off of it and she never got any of it. Uh, The Smasher's Mail, though, was not Carrie Nation's only paper. She would later go on to publish one called The Hatchet in 1905 and another titled The Home Defender. And in these periodicals, she not only warned of the dangers of drink and the importance of fighting for temperance, she took up other causes and used her publications to speak on those topics as well. She believed in women's suffrage, saying that, quote, the loving moral influence of mothers must be put in the ballot box. And she was vocally against a variety of vices and sins, including tobacco. We mentioned earlier that she hated it. Uh, she also spoke against foreign food and skirts that were worn too short. Uh, she was firmly against the corset, believing that they were bad for women's health. So she refused to wear one and she wrote about their perils in the paper. And her writing also included advice. About child rearing and homemaking.
0: As Carrie's devotion to the cause grew, it really consumed her life. And with all of her time spent smashing saloons and giving lectures, she became completely disconnected from her family. In 1901, David Nation filed for divorce, claiming cruelty and desertion on the wife's part. He had warned her that if she didn't come home, he would be filing papers. And she had responded with, quote, Mr. Nation, God has given me a mission. I dare not turn back. Shall I hearken unto God or unto man?
1: But she really was quite devastated when David followed through on his threat. She felt that even though they as a couple rarely agreed and they really didn't seem to have a particularly delightful marriage, that they had been together for 24 years and she thought that they were never going to separate. And she also knew that a divorce would undoubtedly make news and, as she put it, quote, would hinder my work. And While the divorce trial did cause something of a scandal in Medicine Lodge, it really didn't seem to slow down Carrie's activism. And when writing her life story, she used this moment in her life as a sort of springboard to then go on for quite a while uh, and discuss all of the ways that men betray women.
0: In her second raid on Wichita, she adopted a hatchet as her favorite means of destruction for her saloon raids. And this became an iconic part of her story. When a bartender approached her, she exclaimed, quote, don't come near my hatchet. It might fall on you and I will not be responsible for the results. She was often photographed while holding both her Bible and her hatchet.
1: She was arrested once again in Wichita, but this time several of her friends from the temperance movement were arrested with her because, again, she at this point was not by herself on most of these raids. Uh, And she actually described their time in a holding cell there as very happy, saying, quote, this was one of the glorious, heavenly and refreshing times. We sang hymns, repeated scripture, would often laugh and cry by turns for joy to think we were worthy to suffer for his sake.
0: Throughout her career of smashings, which she sometimes called hatchetations, she continued to tour around to towns, usually after receiving a letter from someone requesting her help to eliminate the saloons in a given location. And she was arrested many, many times, was often found guilty of some destruction of property or mischief charge to pay for her many fines, Nation turned to the lecture circuit and to merchandise sales.
1: And initially, she actually turned down a number of offers to appear in public, which were usually proffered in exchange for assistance in getting her out of jail. She believed that a lot of the people contacting her just saw her as a mere curiosity or a freak to exhibit. I think she said, like, I would be a white elephant to them. But eventually, she was struggling so completely for money that she did consider it, and she prayed on it, and eventually she did indeed begin lecturing. She never planned in advance what she was going to say to a crowd, but she just relied on her own experience and passion for the cause and her faith in God to carry her through.
0: She brought in a good income, giving talks about temperance and eventually selling many hatchets made of pewter. After she initially began selling the souvenir hatchets, she came to believe them to be a vitally important part of her cause, writing, quote, The little hatchets have been my faithful little defenders. They have paid railroad fares, hotel bills. They aided me in paying for the home for drunkards' wives. Besides, they are my little messengers. They cause people to talk, to think, to act— Never was there a greater advertisement of a great cause. God has blessed the mission of the hatchet. I tell mothers to get these little hatchets, put them on their boys' and girls' clothes. With these hatchets goes the facts of my life, which will be an inspiration to the heart of the young.
1: And she also sold souvenir photos of herself, always posed with her hatchet and her Bible. And she reportedly brought in as much as $300 per week from all these ventures. And in addition to paying her fines and bail, she would use the money to print her periodicals. Though almost each time she started one, she would end up having to close up shop because she simply could not manage her life on the road and all of these smashings and the job of editing a magazine at the same time. Of her various financial efforts, she wrote, quote, I have made a lot of money, tried to use it to further the cause of the people, but I have made some sad failures to get the results I paid for. Carrie
0: Nation changed the spelling of her first name from the I-E ending to the Y ending officially in 1903. And this was to create a play on words with her middle initial and last name. So she became Carrie-A-Nation, as in Carrie-A-Nation for Prohibition. Uh, and that was uh, according to her own logic.
1: Yeah, she would also use use her name in phrasing of like carry a nation out of darkness, carry a nation, you know, from slovenly drunkenness. She she used it in a lot of different slogans. In 1903, the 1854 temperance novel titled 10 Nights in a Bar Room and what I saw there was adapted as a vaudeville play and this time it incorporated Carry Nation into it and allowed her to tell her story. She starred in the show and she took the part to spread the message of prohibition more widely as she once told a journalist quote people go to the theaters more than they do the churches and i want to go where there are plenty of people to hear me and where they need me
0: Next up we will talk about Carrie A Nation's travels to Scotland and England to share her feelings on temperance there but first we will take one more quick sponsor break
1: Carrie Nation made waves across the pond as well as in the the United States, touring Great Britain as a lecturer. And she met the organizing secretary of Dundee, Scotland's Prohibition Party at a Prohibition convention in Ohio in 1908. And that was when he invited her to come and speak in his home country. And so they worked out all the particulars of financing, and she started her tour in Dundee. But eventually she went to several cities in Scotland before a second leg of the tour in England.
0: Nation's writings as she experienced this other culture are fairly amusing. She was horrified by the pubs of Great Britain and she found the women there in her words nervous. She wrote, I never saw such nervous women in my life as they're in Britain. Their conversation seems affected. Their voices are high and they use the rising inflection. I believe the reason of this is the tea drinking. Nearly every man, woman, and child is a tea fiend in Britain. It is nothing for them to drink three and four cups of tea at a meal. They always use black tea.
1: I don't know why that just cracked me up when I read it. <laughs> it's like, uh, clearly. uh She saw it as almost as bad as alcohol. Uh, in some ways. Anyway, uh, Nation wrote her autobiography, which uh, we've quoted a lot here, which was titled The Use and Need of the Life of Carrie A. Nation in 1908. And this book actually made enough money that she was able to use the proceeds to purchase a home in Kansas City, Kansas. And that residence was a women's shelter. It was a haven for those who had fled from men with drinking problems. And for this and her other work in the temperance movement, she was eventually given a medal by the Women's Christian Temperance Union, which celebrated her as, quote, the bravest woman in Kansas. In
0: 1910, she purchased another house to become a home for drunkards, wives, and children, this time in Eureka Springs, Arkansas. She moved in there as well, and her grueling schedule of the previous decade at this point had taken a really serious toll on her health.
1: In January 1911, Carrie Nation was at a speaking engagement in Eureka Springs when she collapsed. She never fully recovered, and five months later, she died on June 9th. She was 64 at the time and had not lived long enough to see the 18th Amendment, which outlawed alcohol nationally, or the 19th Amendment, which granted women the right to vote, passed. She was buried next to her parents in Belton, Missouri.
0: Of course, Prohibition failed, and it was ended in 1933. Had Carrie A. Nation been alive to see this repeal, she probably would have been livid, and her eyes drinking was a sin, and that condemned it thoroughly. She wrote in her autobiography, quote, "...there is not a lawful saloon in the world. Law is as eternal and unchangeable as God himself. Anything that is sinful cannot be lawful, and anything that is lawful cannot be sinful." The saloon is not lawful
1: because it is sinful. Yet yeah, she had very clear and unwavering opinions. <laughs> so clearly, Carrie A. Nation was a really complex woman. And while her motivations in many cases may have been noble, we have to also address some really problematic aspects of her story, notably her interactions with black people.
0: So as she became well-known in the temperance movement, she did become quite popular with Black temperance advocates. And many of them sent her small amounts of money to help her cause or wrote testimony letters of how their lives or the lives of loved ones had been damaged by drink.
1: In many ways, Carrie Nation was very vocal about accepting and loving all people. I mean, she really did say all the time, like, she believed everyone to be equal. But she also wrote some really troubling things about Black people and slavery.
0: She was raised largely by both Black servants and enslaved people that her parents owned. And she called them her aunties and uncles and was quite attached to several of them. So her writing about slavery, consequently, is really problematic. She acknowledged that it was a bad thing, but then she downplayed it all by writing, quote, I would rather have my son sold to a slave driver than to be a
1: victim of a saloon. And she wrote more on race that is equally troubling. She saw, of course, that this was a serious issue, and she understood that the problem was that white people were afraid of black people seeking equality. But then she cautions that black people shouldn't want that anyway, as, quote, it would be of no real value to them. She advises that Black people, quote, should never depart from your race lines and bearings. Keep true to your nature, your simplicity and happy disposition, and above all, come back to the old-time religion. You will never strand on that rock. Obviously, her stance
0: on the matter was informed by the times she was living in, but the links that she goes to in justifying her family's ownership of enslaved people and assuring the reader that her father was one of the, quote, good slave owners – indicate that she clearly understood that it was
1: wrong. Yeah, there's some really uh her autobiography is available online in a number of places. You can get it uh, you know, in all kinds of formats. There's even a free Kindle version of it. And there's actually like a a whole really upsetting portion where she claimed that some of the enslaved people that they had actually asked her father to beat their children for them and like she says really upsetting things. Um and it's clear she doesn't want to disparage her father, but The things she's talking about are just horrifying. In 1873, though, as she had gained stable footing financially, Nation actually did attempt to seek out one of the women who had helped raise her, who was named Aunt Judy. And her intent was to take care of her in her old age. But when she traveled south to Texas at the time where Judy had moved, Carrie discovered that the woman had died six months earlier. And Judy's children actually told Carrie Nation that Judy had hoped one day to live with her again.
0: So today. Carrie Nation's name? Grace is a restaurant slash bar.
1: <laughs> in yeah, I think they I think their online thing calls themselves like a, a modern speakeasy. <laughs>
0: sure. Uh it's called Carrie Nations, spelled with an I. E. I've only been there once. It, it is I would call it gleeful in the fact that it is literally a bar named after Carrie Nation who would have smashed it up with her hatchet.
1: Yeah, I have to go. Next time I'm I'm in Boston, we're going there.
0: Well, and I was glad uh, that you picked this episode because I I a friend of mine had been going to take us there one time and it turned out we just happened to be there on it like they were closed. We were like, "Well, we'll go somewhere else." Um and then uh I was in the same neighborhood a different time. We were looking for something to eat and went, "Oh, let's try this."
1: Yeah, remember and this you can place and actually Thank my friend Justin for that because he suggested it Uh, because I was I had been looking at another topic entirely and I was just running out of steam and not finding things. And I was like, do you have anything on your wish list? He always has stuff and he mentioned it. And then I started looking at her and I was like, oh, we have to do her. Yeah, she had gone Uh, on my
0: list at that point after having, you know, sat there in a bar named after her. So I was very glad when you picked her up.
1: Yay. Uh, and the one thing throughout Carrie Nation's life that seemed to be the constant through her failed marriages, her work in the hotel business, her smashing, you know, her failed attempts at teaching school and teaching in churches and her jail time uh, was her religious faith and her belief that she was above all an instrument of God. And she actually made a note in her autobiography to call out this fact, writing, quote, note this reader that I did not think of smashing. God told me to do it. Yeah, she's, she is really fascinating and I loved reading about her in many ways, but there was part of me that was like, I'm so glad I never met this woman. Yeah. The whole time you
0: were working on this, you would, you would, uh, you would direct message me periodically with like the latest horror Weird layer. (laughs) Troubling. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So cantankerous. But then there's this part of me that feels, I feel very bad for her, because I really think, like because that first marriage was so torn apart by alcohol, like it kind yeah. of led her down this path where she was never gonna find true happiness, you know, like her life was always a struggle after that, and I think part of it was that she was always struggling with with what had happened I mean yeah. that's just me being armchair psychiatrist, but well uh, yeah i and i I feel bad that she clearly had. Her very sort of cantankerous demeanor was clearly like her wrestling yeah. with the world.
0: Well, and I think sometimes the temperance movement is painted as a bunch of busybody women who needed to mind their own business. Um, When in reality, there were a lot of women in the temperance movement who were involved with it because they were being abused by their husbands. Um And like exactly. their husbands would come home drunk and abuse them. Or their husbands had lost... All of the family savings because yeah. they were untreated alcoholics. Like that's like there were so many women who, for them, it was this this desperately personal thing needing to try to save their family. Basically, so it's not yep. really accurate to just be like these women couldn't keep their nose out of other people's right. social habits. Like that wasn't right. Yeah,
1: yeah. It's a uh, like I said, it's tricky. She's. She's seen in very different lights by different people with different perspectives. So yeah. uh, that's Carrie Nation. She's, she's one of those food for thought people. Like I know I will be thinking about her for a long time, but you know what I'm thinking about now? Is it listener mail? It is. Uh, this listener mail comes from us from our listener, Chelly. Uh, I hope I'm pronouncing that correctly. She says, happy summer, ladies. I discovered your podcast about two years ago as I was getting ready to sell our old house. During the long, horrible process of painting and staging the house just to turn around and sell it to someone else, I kept myself engaged with your podcast and I have been a fan ever since. I tend to listen to your episodes in batches as I travel for work, and I must admit that I'm a bit behind, but I've had a couple of trips recently, so I'm almost caught up. You continue to simultaneously entertain and educate, a difficult balance, but you nail it. As an aside by me, no one should feel like they have to keep up. Uh, I don't keep up with all my podcasts. It's there when you're ready. No, nope, me neither. <laughs> uh, she says, next, my husband and I are taking a trip to Europe in August to celebrate our 10-year anniversary. Happy anniversary, let me say that. Uh, my husband has never been outside the country before, so I'm excited to introduce him to so many awesome things that the world has to offer. For his first trip, I picked pretty reliable cities from a tourist perspective, cities that have a little something for everyone. We're headed to Nuremberg because beer, and then we have a stop or two in northern France, ending in Paris, and Paris is as you know, is filled with such interesting history and architecture, and I feel like you really can't go wrong there with a first-time international traveler. I would concur. Uh, She says, I know from previous visits that Paris museums are often closed one or more days during the week, so I was doing a little planning ahead to find out when a few places would be open, including the Palace at Versailles. While I was on the website, I noticed that they have an online exhibit called Fashion at Versailles. I know how much Holly likes historical fashion, so I thought I would let you know it's there. I have no idea how long it's been up, and you may likely know about it already, but I wanted to let you know in the off chance that you did not. Then she gives the link. We will share that in our show notes. I did not know about this. It is amazing. I will talk about it some more in a second. She says, while I don't harbor an intense love for fashion, the online exhibit is stunning. They provide commentary around fashions shown in many paintings, and you can click each painting and zoom in to see the detail. For a novice who knows nothing about fashion and history, it's very interesting, and the fashion is stunning. Although I have to say, the first picture in the Her section, so this site is laid out with a a him and her, so that you see both, like, sort of the, the traditional male and traditional female modes of dress. She says, the first picture in the Her section of the exhibit made me chuckle it starts out by talking about the simplicity of the clothing for everyday life and then the picture that illustrates this concept shows marie Antoinette in a silk robe with a really full skirt and lace trim which through the modern lens or at least my lens is extremely ornate and definitely not simple i literally laughed out loud when i saw that it was great just goes to show that perspective is everything uh and then she mentions that she is also sharing the podcast with her daughter who is about to turn eight so happy birthday to her uh, and that she screens them first since a you know, those are our younger ears and some of our material may be a little too much. But uh, she is already noticing that her daughter has a very strong interest in history and that her, uh, the podcast is something that they can do together. So that is awesome. Tell I had no idea about that website and now i'm in love with it. So it's really really beautiful. Also, it circles back to another podcast topic that we have done because it uses some of the visual lebron portraits of Marie Antoinette to illustrate the clothing. And it really does break down like the elements of, of the clothing, what it means, uh you know, why different things were favored at different times. It is a really amazing resource. So like i said we will have that link in the show notes and it is gorgeous and i can get lost in that site for a long time. Uh if you would like to write to us and Send us things that will send us down rabbit holes of delight for a long time. You can do so at history podcast at housestuffworks.com. You can also find us across the spectrum of social media as missed in history. That means we're on Twitter, Instagram, Facebook, Tumblr, and uh, also Pinterest as missed in history. And if you would like to visit our parent site, you can do that. That is housestuffworks.com. We encourage you to type in some element of interest into the search bar. You're going to get so much content to read and enjoy and learn from. And you can also visit us us at mistinhistory.com where every episode of the show ever exists together in one archive as well as any show notes for the episodes that Tracy and I have worked on. So please come and visit us at mistinhistory.com and housestuffworks.com.
0: For more on this and thousands of other topics, visit housestuffworks.com.